And I want to show you a video today. It's a short clip. There's two videos this morning before we actually read the scriptures. Uh, the first one gives you a breakdown of the book of Genesis. There's going to be six different sections. Uh, and then there's going to be many serieses within some of those sections. So uh, the second section, we're going to be talking about marriage and family and things like that. So there's going to be a lot we're going to glean from the book of Genesis. But let's just go ahead and walk through these different sections this morning, just so you kind of have a, an idea of where we're going. Section number one is God Speaks. Section number two is Transforming Your Relationships. Number three is God Gives Grace, talking about Noah. God befriends uh, his love for Abraham and the patriarchs. God invites us to experience. And then God Plans. We're going to be talking about the life of Joseph and God's faithfulness to Joseph. So, you know, we're going to be breaking the book up in six different sections. It kind of gives you an idea of where the study of the book is going. Um, there is a lot of information in the book of Genesis. And frankly, like one of the hardest things about teaching this book is there's just too much information to convey. And so we're also going to be leveraging small videos because we want you to learn about God. You guys all right with that? Like, you've come to learn. This is a teaching church. We teach the Bible. And uh, we want you to, obviously, really experience all that God has for you. But we want you to be able to walk away knowing the book of Genesis. And so we'll be leveraging some videos from uh, an organization called The Bible Project. Uh, they put toge together some great stuff on the book of Genesis. And um, it'll give you a good picture of this first section. So go ahead and enroll that video. first book in the Bible is a book you've probably heard of. It's called Genesis. Genesis comes from a Hebrew word. Uh, it's pronounced reshit, uh, and it just means beginning. Now, there's a lot of stories from the book of Genesis, and it's easy just to pull out a specific story and, and try to tell you what it might mean. But we think the best way to understand this book is to look at the book as a whole and show you how the whole thing is designed. The book is designed to fall into two main parts. You have uh, chapters 1 through 11, which is telling the story of God and the whole world. And then you have the second part, which is about God and Abraham's family, as chapters 12 through 50. And how the two of those parts relate, that's where you find the message of the book. Okay, so let's start back at the beginning. The first part of Genesis begins with a creation story, where God creates everything. And how exactly that happens, of course, that's where all the debates come. But he takes a dark, watery, chaos and he turns it into a beautiful garden where humans can can flourish that yeah. sounds nice it does sound nice in fact seven different times god says of all that he's made that it's good all right there you have it <clears throat> you guys clap at everything i said this to the first service like it doesn't matter what it is you guys clap i love you for that i've missed your your clappiness just want to say you know, Desiree's doing the connect part. She's like, hey, we're going to have a song and some giving, and everyone claps. What church claps at giving? Calvary Chapel Las Vegas does. So I think it's great. You guys are happy. Stand up today. We're going to read the scriptures. And uh, in fact, this morning, we're just going to cover four words. Can you handle that? Yeah. All right. We're going to read four words. We're going to read them together, and then I'm going to pray. So... Beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, the very first book of the Bible, written by Moses, the Bible says this, let's say it together, in the beginning, God. No, guys, not five words, not five words, four words, okay? In fact, there were more of you that read five words. You just can't stop, can you? I mean, it's great. Only four words today. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, thank you for the power of the Holy Scriptures. Thank you, God, that you have preserved truth. Thank you, God, that you've not left us orphans, God, to just waywardly walk through this life. But, Father, you have revealed yourself to us. God, we see you through general revelation that is creation. We see you through specific revelation that is the Holy Scriptures. And, Father, we see you through personal revelation that is the incarnation of your Son, Jesus. And God, we pray today that you would draw our hearts, God, like a moth to the flame, like, like the magnet to steel. God, draw our hearts to your heart. 
Father, for those of us today, maybe who've never even taken that first step in coming to Jesus in faith and having our lives transformed by the Spirit, God, may today be the day. For those of us perhaps who've walked with you for many years, we pray, God, please, today would be a day of alignment and calibration and restoration, a new beginning we ask, not just for our own personal lives, but for our church. Father, for your glory, that your name would be known in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat today. Jesus said to his disciples, he said these words to them. He said, take heed lest you be deceived. Take heed lest you be deceived. Now, he wasn't just speaking to the multitudes. He was speaking to his disciples. So I think sometimes, you know, when we look at that phrase, we think, well, of course, he's speaking to the unbelieving multitudes of people. But no, this was an exhortation. This was an admonition to his own disciples. And it's not the only time he gave it, but he understood He understood the power of suggestion. He understood that there was a world that was seeking, a philosophy within the world that was seeking to shape the souls of the sons and daughters of God. And so he warned even his disciples. He knew that there was an effort to affect the way that they thought about the world and about God and about issues of life. And you know that that is true for us today. Jesus knew that his disciples were susceptible then. Just by nature, they were susceptible. He knows today we, by nature, are susceptible to the power of suggestion as well. You know, there's something called the illusory truth effect. And it was discovered in the late 70s by uh, Villanova and Temple University, it goes something like this. It's the tendency to believe false information to be correct after repeated exposure to it. It's, now, you might be thinking, well, duh, obviously we know that. Like if you're just inundated, if you're inundated with information, a high volume of information, obviously by nature, just because of exposure, it's going to impact you. But listen, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. So when you are considering new information, there are two processes you evaluate information by. One is a rational, semi-objective process where you're taking that data, you're taking the information, and you're evaluating it based on your understanding of other truth, right? That's a rational process. You're taking the data in, and then you're comparing it with things that you know to be true, Well, there's a second way we process information as well, and it's less objective, it's far more subjective, and I would say it's even operating in your subconscious. Your body goes through this process, it is physiological in a sense, where you are feeling whether or not the information actually seems to be familiar to you. And if it does, in fact, feel familiar, then your body responds physiologically to that by assuming that that piece of information is true. So listen, if you're exposed constantly to data and you're becoming aware of some new piece of information, your body, your your mind, your brain subconsciously, because that information is easier to be able to uh, process because you've been exposed to it, your, your brain assumes that it's true. So I'm saying to you today that there's a subconscious process that you go through as you're inundated with information. Because you've been inundated, it's easier to process. And because it's easier to process, your brain assumes that that information actually is true. This is how the whole marketing world operates. This is how the whole system of advertising uh, understands it can get to you through the power of suggestion, even if you're not processing that data. Listen, I would say to you, um, even geopolitical warfare now is resorting to misinformation, knowing that if uh, social media platforms are inundated with data, people will subconsciously begin to process and trigger that data as true even though they've not rationally or objectively evaluated it. And the truth is this, we live in an era of information. There is a deluge of information that is constantly, consistently bombarding us. 
Somebody just did a recent study where they determined that the average American consumes about 35 gigabytes of data every single day. I just think about that. Think about the sheer volume of information that is coming in through different platforms. And certainly, you don't have all of the time to rationally process every piece of information. So it is, in fact, affecting you in some way. Some people say to me, well, pastor, you know, I'm, I, I know that I have all of this exposure to these different things, but you know, it's really not impacting me. I would say to them and to you today, yes, it is. Your soul is being shaped, whether you recognize it or not, your soul is being shaped. Your morals, your view on morals, your view on marriage, your view on parenting, your view on personal purpose, your perspective on spirituality, how you believe about death and life after death, what you think about God. There is an effort in this world that's sinister in nature. Behind all of the veil is the adversary himself who is seeking to shape your soul. Listen, this is the reality of the chaos around us. You think, why is there so much confusion? Why is there that noise that's going on right now? <laughs> Flash flood warning. All of your phones right now, this is a perfect example, all right? A perfect example. Like, Pastor, I, I'm not connected to my phone. I'm not connected to my phone, man. This is my time, my sacred spot. No, it's not. Like, it's just invaded the moment. Look, there's a flash flood warning right now because of rain. There's a flash flood warning because of information, too. <laughs> mass confusion, mass confusion all around us. Why is that the, the case? Because we have a truth deficit in our culture. You know, for your soul, listen, for your soul to be shaped by truth, you have to start where the Bible begins. Where does the Bible begin? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Let me read it to you. For your soul to be shaped by truth, you have to start where the Bible starts. In the beginning, God. Why is the world dealing with so much chaos? Why every day when you wake up, it seems as if there's another crazy thing that's happening? Because the culture around us is dealing with a truth deficit. There is a deluge of information in this information age, but it is in fact truth starved. And so I want to say to you four things, very simple things as we kind of lay out this morning um, an introduction to the study of the book of Genesis. Four things I think will be really, really helpful as we study this book. Number one, God has to be our starting point. Number one, God has to be our starting point. I love how the book begins. <clears throat> I love how the Bible begins. I think it couldn't begin in a more majestic or powerful or emphatic way, simply saying, in the beginning, God. How beautiful is the beginning of the Bible? And I would suggest to you, no piece of literature that you've ever read no academic scholarly work, no favorite song that you listen to has a more beautiful beginning than the Holy Scriptures, the divine word of God. As Moses was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he started the book, he started the whole book, he started the canon of Scripture with these four basic, powerful, beautiful, sublime words, in the beginning, God. Why is it so powerful? Why are they so majestic? Why are they so sublime? Because there's nothing, there's no topic more sublime or powerful or majestic than the topic of God himself. And I would just like to remind you today as you read these verses, there's no argument. There's no philosophical debate. There's no weighing the, the other perspectives or religious ideas. No, the Bible just says as a matter of fact, in the beginning, God. This is why the Bible also says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I love the first note of scripture and it just rings so true. Today, maybe you need to be reminded of the first note of Scripture, in the beginning, God. Maybe today you've come in and there's, there's chaos and confusion and discomfort and 
depression, maybe despondency in your life. Maybe there's dis- toxicity and dysfunction and you know you're living in an almost hopeless situation. Maybe your life has been consumed by the wave of the world and you feel almost as if you're about to drown. I want to speak to you four simple words of hope in the beginning, God. Those words will buoy your soul. Those words will lift you up. Those words will set you free. Those words will bring you to a a brand new beginning. As you put your trust and faith in Christ, you can know that the old things have passed away. And as the Bible says, all things have become new. I want you to take note of the note because the Bible does not start by saying, in the beginning, me. Right? I mean, the Bible does not say, I know that this might be a tough one for some of us to swallow, but the Bible does not start by saying, in the beginning, me. And you know, well-meaning believers, oftentimes, this is where we start even with respect to the Word of God, even with respect to our relationship with God. You know, we can sometimes bring our self-consumed, me-first attitudes even into the Scripture. God, what do you have for me? What have you done for me lately? God, how are you going to fix my problem? How are you going to solve my situation? God, don't you know this person's driving me nuts? When when are you either going to fix them or relieve them from my life? Because they're they're like a cancer, and I would just prefer you to cut them out. Sometimes even the way we approach the scriptures is self-oriented. It's selfish. It is so refreshing just to be reminded by the word of God that our beginning place must be the Lord. The Bible does not say in the beginning me. The Bible says in the beginning God. You know, you will never really understand true meaning or purpose in this life if your starting point is yourself. You will never understand real true meaning or purpose in this life if your starting point is yourself. You know, a recent Psychology Today article had a very suggestive title. Um, This is the secular world, right? The title was this, Self-Absorption, the Root of All Evil, question mark. And I thought, man, even the unbelieving world around us understands that there is such a a level of self-absorption, it seems to be consuming even our culture. We live in a me, me culture. I want it now, whether... We're saying, hey, that's my toilet paper roll. Or whether we're saying, hey, that's my parking spot. I'm not going to fill the blank in for you today. What areas are you selfish in? What areas are are you dealing with self-centeredness? I'm not saying today that the toilet paper roll is my issue. I just think it's culturally relevant that we we see. It's evident today that we live in a very self centered culture, and things won't get right until we get ourselves right with God. Moses starts with the most basic, beautiful fact. And if I've said any truth to you over the course of so many years, this may sit at the top, and it's just simple. It's two words. God is. God is. Would you let that resonate in your soul today? Would you let that speak to your heart today? Like I said to you earlier, maybe this is what you need to be reminded of. You're looking at all the things that are not. You're looking at all the dreams and ambitions that are unfulfilled. You're looking at all of the unfulfilled expectations and how others have not met the desires that you've had for them. And simply listen, you can put all of that to rest by being reminded today that God is. What more do we need to know then our God is sitting sovereignly upon his throne and he has all things under the control of his providential care. I hope that encourages you today. God is, God is, and everything after that is a subsequent fact. And in fact, I would go further and say to you that all things exist because it pleased him. God is. He's the ultimate reality. He transcends time and space. He is the one who is beyond our universe and all things that exist. We're going to talk about this in some detail in coming weeks, but all things that exist, exist because it pleased him to cause them to exist. I love Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. We're going to be in chapter 4, verse 11, probably in about four months, because we're going to take our time going through Revelation on Sunday nights. 
And listen, it's a great verse, great in all translations, but the King James Version happens to be my personal favorite. So if you're thinking, man, what happened to Pastor Derek? He went on sabbatical and he came back all old English on us. Well, I just like the way it's, it's framed in um, this version. So the Bible says this in verse 11, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, listen, check this out. You can say these four words with me. And for thy pleasure, they are and were created. Isn't that good? Isn't that good, somebody? Is somebody out there that can affirm the goodness of this verse? Amen. Listen, this is the song of heaven. This is the song of heaven. Like you're not gonna be all wrapped up in yourself. God, where's my personal cloud? Why didn't I get my own planet? Isn't there something more fun to do in heaven? No, heaven is going to be God. You are worthy to be worshiped. All glory, God, all honor and all power. Father, we give it to you. Look, the very fact that we're even present here is so undeserved. This will be the song in heaven. And the only reason we've made it here is not our good works and our efforts, but the blood of the lamb who was slain for us, who was slain for us. And so we together will be making this declaration, God, you are the one who is worthy to receive all glory, honor, and power. Because God, we look at the general revelation, we look at your creation from the, from the black hole to the nebula to the various galaxies, the billions of stars in each of the galaxies, to the earth that's been carefully, lovingly engineered down to the very detail, absolutely fine-tuned, totally undeniable, to the seas that are teeming with life, to the majesty of the mountains, God, to the life that you bring forth out of the dirt, to the complexity of human life. God, you are the one who has created all things. You're behind it all. You're behind it all, God. You're the one pulling the strings. And you have divine purpose in all that you've made. And not only that, but God, you did it because it pleased you. You did it because it pleased you. I love that. Look, why does God do what he wants to do? Because, because it pleases him. Man, it pleases him, right? So let me just say today, you have been made for the pleasure of God. Why did God make you? Because it, 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 you're loyal like mom, dad, pastor, do we have to, we're going to cover that? The birds and the bees in Genesis? Like, do we need to go into the biology? No, you exist not because two people came together, but because God gave you a spirit and a soul. He planted it in your human body on the day of conception. And you've been created for his pleasure for his pleasure. Why are you living today? What is the purpose that you're living for? Over the last couple of months, while I've been absent, have you, have you been living for the pleasure of God? Listen, we get off track. We go off road in our lives. We, we go down the road of tox, toxicity and dysfunction when we stop living for God's pleasure, when God ceases to be the center of our lives. And look, I want to suggest to you today, this is really the core of the message today, we all need to get back to him. We need to get back to him. We need that Copernicus revolution within our lives. You guys remember who Copernicus was? He was one of the guys, all the science and math had been laid out before this, but he was one of the guys, he was really the one who's noted for that revolution that put the sun at the center of our solar system instead of the earth. Because before him, common concept was that everything revolved around the earth. I mean, that just is the typical human nature way of seeing things. But as he worked the math and he worked the physics, what he understood was, no, it's not the earth that sits at the center of the solar system. It is the sun that sits at the center of the solar system. And because the sun sits at the center, Everything revolves around it in perfect harmony. There was that revolution that took place. And I think in a spiritual way, we need to have that same revolution in our lives where we stop thinking that everything revolves around us and exists for our own pleasure. You know how much conflict that brings into our lives? You know how much dysfunction that brings into our marriage? When we begin to look at our spouse, like, hey, don't, did you forget something? You exist for my pleasure. You exist to fulfill my needs. No, that's not the way that it works in the Christian world. Our lives are not to be oriented around ourselves. Our lives are to be oriented around the Son of God. He sits at the center. He calls the shots. 
He holds everything in perfect order. And when he said, when you make that decision in your life, you know, this is what it means to be born again. When you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, what you're saying is, it's no longer me, my desires, my needs, my dreams, my ambitions, my way, or the highway that sits at the center. God, it is your way. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are at the center of my life. It's not my addictions. It's not my desire for sex. It's not my ambitions that I have to fulfill. It's not being led and directed by my personal emotions. No, God, you are at the center. And my life now orbits around you. My life orbits around you. I exist for your pleasure. You wake up in the morning, God, how can I please you today? How, what a different way to start the day, right? You know what I'm talking about? Because sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, what a crazy day I have. You know, I mean, I've got this, that, and the other thing. Man, to start our day and say, God, I know that I exist for you and for your pleasure. This is why you've made me. This is why you've shaped me. And my day will not be all that you desire it to be unless I put your will and your pleasure at the center of all of my desires. Right? It starts with God. It starts with God. I think David got this. I, I think... You know, we'll talk about this verse a lot, but, you know, it's somewhere in the process. I don't know if it was when he was a little guy in uh, the fields watching over the sheep or where exactly it was, but David began to understand that when he looked at the general revelation of God, the created universe, it was speaking of God beyond the beauty of what he saw. He saw the real beauty, and that was the beauty of the creator. For he said... Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament show his handiwork. The word handiwork we'll talk about later. Uh, it could also kind of be translated finger painting. So when you look at the complexity of the universe, I'll just tell you right now, it's finger painting for God. It's finger painting. You're like, oh my gosh, I got, I got rent. I've got job issues. I've got people issues. I'm like, hey, listen, finger painting, the universe, finger painting, your problem, he's got it. You'll be all right. Number one, start with God. Number two, I do believe Genesis answers the most important questions in life. Genesis, the book of Genesis, answers the most important questions in life. Now, listen, when we study the Old Testament on Sunday mornings, there are some people who are like, Pastor, what are we doing? Like, we're a New Testament church. We're a New Testament church. Why aren't we in Matthew or Mark or Luke or John or Romans or whatever? The Old Testament doesn't really apply to us. And I could say, nothing is further. I say to you, nothing is further from the truth. In fact, you will not understand your, old, your New Testament. You will not understand the gospel accounts unless you understand the book of Genesis. It is where the whole story begins. And it answers the single most important questions in life. You know, I did a little research on the most often asked questions on Google for all time. And I wanted to share five out of the 10 with you. I was really surprised, you know, because it's like, well, certainly, you know, people are asking deep, important questions. And if we're going to talk about the most important ones of all time on Google, these are probably pretty, you know, not so much. <laughs> Number one, I kind of get, why is there a leap year? Okay, this is, this is five out of 10. So this is not an order, but one of the top asked questions all time, why is there a leap year? Maybe you've had that question. Um, Go ahead and Google that because I'm not going to give you the answer today. <laughs> the second one I get, why is the sky blue? Look, I mean, I think that that's a general question that a lot of people have. Why is the sky blue? The third one I just totally don't understand. Why are cats afraid of cucumbers? <laughs> Let me just say, if you own a cat, you've got a problem in the first place. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Can I, get, can I get in trouble for a second? Is that okay? Dogs are so much better than cats. Dogs are so much better than cats. Right? Dogs go to heaven. Cats go to purgatory. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't say hell. It could have been worse. I'm just joking. I know I just opened up a can of worms. But, um... I, well, look, we got two dogs. We have a Rottweiler, 135 pounds, and then we got a uh, Labradoodle, and they're both absolutely amazing. And you know what? They, they love us, and they are loyal to us no matter what kind of mood we're in. The total grump, you know, just miserable mood, and it's like, <laughs> Master, I love you. I love you. Like, what, what can I do for you? I'll protect the house. Like, there's value. 
All right, so <laughs> question number three, why are cats afraid of cucumbers? I, have, I don't even know where that comes from. Question number four, why do dogs eat grass? So whatever, don't yell the answer out loud because we don't want to hear it. Um, fifth question I thought was pretty classic on Google all time, why did I get married? Why did I get married? Now, I would just like to say to you today, if you're asking Google why you got married, you, <laughs> you got bigger problems. In fact, you know, that probably tells you what the problem is. If you've gone to Google to ask that question, you are probably the problem in your marriage. <laughs> listen, they're, they're important questions. They are important questions, maybe. But listen, they, they, can, they pale in comparison to the most important questions. You know, there are a lot of issues that need to be resolved and dealt with in life. There are questions that we need to answer, but there are fundamental questions that all of us should be seeking the answers for. Ravi Zacharias put it like this, when shaping our worldview, we ought to be concerned with our origin, our meaning, our morality, and our destiny. These are the four key things that we ought to be considering. These are four key questions that we have that we need to answer because everything in life is shaped by the answer to these questions. How did I get here? Why am I here? How do I live my life and where am I going after this life? If you've not answered those fundamental questions, I would suggest to you that none of the other answers to any questions you have really even matter. But the beauty is this, Genesis answers those questions for us. And Genesis tells us that we have a God of covenant, a God who is a God of relationship, a God who is not so transcendent that he's separated from his creation, not a God who stands afar off, not the God of deism that wound up creation and then stepped back and just let it go. No, we have a God who desires personal relationship with us and that permeates the story of the book of Genesis. The third thing I want to say to you today is that Genesis, Genesis is all about Jesus. The book of Genesis is all about Jesus. I know, like I said, sometimes there are people, uh, well-meaning Christians who are like, Pastor, why aren't we studying the red letters of the Bible? Because you know the red letters have more value than the black letters do. And I just want to remind you today, whether black or red, if it's in between Genesis 1-1 and Revelation 22-21, it is all the word of God. He has spoken all of the words. And the book of Genesis mattered to Jesus. He mentioned it many times. Jesus in the gospel accounts, you'll see he affirms the creation story. He mentions the blood of Abel. He uses the story of Noah and the condition of humanity during the day of Noah to illustrate the condition of humanity just before his second coming. By the way, you see that being played out all around us. Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus said that Abraham saw his day and rejoiced. I believe he was referring to the situation with Melchizedek. We'll talk about that in some weeks. He alluded to Jacob's dream. He discussed lessons concerning Lot and Lot's wife and her longing heart for Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen, when Jesus talked about Genesis, he didn't refer to it as if it was a myth or allegory, but as historical fact. And this is important because there are some who say today, as there's been great pressure from the secular, atheistic, unbelieving, naturalistic world, there are some who say, even within the church, that the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are to be taken, are to be taken allegorically, they're a myth, they're not to be taken literally, and nothing could be further from the truth. That's not how Jesus interpreted the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. He interpreted them as historical fact, and if it's good enough for Jesus, it is good enough for me. Amen. Jesus also, he not only mentioned Genesis, but he is the central figure in the book of Genesis. You say, well, his name is not mentioned. Let me tell you how often he is mentioned. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the seed of the woman. Jesus is the one who will crush Satan underneath his feet. Jesus called Noah into the ark and he closed the door. Jesus is, in fact, our ark. 
Jesus is Melchizedek. He is the angel of the Lord. He is the sacrifice prefigured by Isaac. He is the promise to Abraham that would bless all of the nations. He teaches Abraham to intercede. He met Hagar by the spring in the wilderness. He is the one who wrestled with Jacob and named him Israel. He is typified in the life of Joseph. He, in fact, is Shiloh in the prophecy of Jacob. He is our God and Savior. He permeates the book of Genesis. And having said that, and having said that, let me just close by saying we need Jesus right now more than anything else. We need to get back to Jesus. We need to get back to the Lord. Listen, if you were to have coffee with me and say, hey, pastor, what is the one thing, not just the unbelieving world around us, but is the, what is the one thing the church needs today in this crazy, convoluted, chaotic world of mass hysteria? What does the church need today? I would say to you, the church needs to get back to Jesus Christ. The church needs to get back to its beginning. You know, Vince Lombardi was a, an amazing football coach, one of the greatest, although he did not coach the greatest team in football history. Uh, go Cowboys? Jeez. Man, sinner. Just kidding. I'm, I'm a local boy, right? So I grew up in o right outside of Oakland, so I'm coming home. I'm just saying it. I'm coming home. He was a great coach. One time his team was playing so miserably. It wasn't that they were poorly coached, right? I mean, obviously, they had one of the greatest coaches of all time. It was almost as if they had totally forgotten how to play the game. No one was fulfilling their assignments. assignments. No one was doing their job. And so at halftime, what he did is he got his team together, right? You would expect this deeply philosophical, powerful, emotional halftime speech to get his team back on track. But they had become seemingly so lost that all he did was he took the pigskin and he put it in front of his team like this. And he said, this is a football. This is a football. Like, you know, I mean, obviously he was telling them something that they knew, but they were so just all twisted and torn up and so just confused that they had to get back to the very beginning. They had to get back to the starting point, get back to the simplicity of what the game is all about in the first place. And so he says to them, pulling them all back to something that they knew to be true. Hey, let's start from ground zero. Let's start at step number one, y'all. This is a football. And I want to say to you today, this is God's truth. This is God's truth. It's not, sorry, I don't know if I'm going to, I had to throw this ball to somebody this morning. There we go. Okay, this is God's truth. Not the news outlets that you love so much, not CNN, not Fox News, not the Daily Beast, not Newsmax, not the Federalist, whatever, whatever you're looking at, uh, for news, I'm just saying to you today, that is not God's truth. This is God's truth. It's not your neighbor, your neighbor's opinion. It's not social media. It's not the platforms that you go to that you are almost irresistibly drawn to. Newsweek just did a recent study that said the average iPhone user touches their phone over 2,600 times in a day. 2,600 times. And you know, oftentimes, a lot of that Touching and scrolling and reading and listening is all connected to social media. And sometimes we look at those outlets as if they're gospel truth. Well, they're not gospel truth. This right here is gospel truth. I want to remind you of that today. It's not your favorite podcast. It's not your favorite pastor. I'm not saying that there aren't elements of truth that come through those avenues but the only real truth that you will ever be able to stand on and build your life on is this leather-bound book that contains within it the holy word of God. Jesus said to his disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Look, we need to calibrate our lives. We need to calibrate our lives. We need to bring our lives into alignment with God's word. Sometimes we find ourselves playing a game. We're playing the game of Christian. We're playing the game of a churchgoer. We're playing the game of a culture warrior. 
And the reality is this, God is looking at us and saying, hey, I don't want the externals. I don't want the game playing. I don't want the veneer. I don't want a, a plastic Christian. I want your heart. My son did not die on the cross so that you could go through the motions and play a game and give an appearance to everybody that you're walking right when in fact, inside, you are all wrong. You are all wrong. And that's not a word of condemnation. That's not a word to like incite you to shame. That is a message of love. God loves you more than that. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. When you are in the midst of the matrix of the womb in the place of darkness, God was shaping your body cell by cell together and placing a spirit within you so that one day you could bear his image again as you put your faith in, in Christ and your life is renewed and you have that revolution in your life where God now sits at the center. That is the heart of God for you, and yet you know we are susceptible. We are susceptible to the power of suggestion. Jesus said, take heed that you be not deceived, because our hearts, like the hymnist said, are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. God, take my heart, take and seal it. Fetter my heart to your heart, O God. God, you know the tendency that, that I have to drift from you. I'll tell you how my sabbatical began. My sabbatical began by saying, God, show me my sin. Show me my sin. I want to walk with you. I want to be right with you. And yet I know that I am in, by nature, apart from Christ in my life, I'm a wicked, self-centered person. Apart from you, I'm the most lost person on the face of the planet. And God, I know that there are tendencies of self-justification where we can conceal and cover and hide our waywardness and then feel as though we're justified in it because we drop a couple of quarters in the religious jukebox and we live our lives dancing to some religious music that God is not the author of. God doesn't want our games. God wants our hearts. God has more for us than that. And I would suggest to you today, it is right for us, it's right for all of us to align ourselves, to calibrate our hearts to the one who really loves us. The word calibrate means to adjust an instru instrument to its true value so that it can read or perform properly. We calibrate stuff all the time. We calibrate the compass on our iPhone so that it reads accurately. If you have a pool, you calibrate the pH so you know the levels of the chemicals. If you have a television, you calibrate the colors so that you know the picture is presenting something that is accurate. We need to calibrate our life to God's truth because if our starting point is wrong, everything else will be wrong. Everything else will be wrong. Listen, if it's off just a little bit, and so I'm saying to you today, maybe you're here and you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. All of this that I'm saying to you really is new. And yet you've been searching, you've been seeking, you've acknowledged that there's something that's missing in your life. You want something more. And the something more is not church attendance. The something more is not having spiritual leadership from humans in your life. The something more is a personal relationship with the Son of God who loved you so much that he gave his life on the cross for you so that you could be forgiven and reconciled to a God that you've been estranged from, just like me. Today, you need to take that step of faith. It's good that you're present here, but God wants you to take the real step of faith and trust in his Son. Maybe today that's the step you need to take. You're present here with us or listening online. Maybe today you're prodigal. It's not that you're not saved, but you know that you've been deeply wayward in your relationship with God. And can we be real today? Can we be real? You know, sometimes we're able to conceal and cover our waywardness so that it looks to everybody else, looks like to everybody else that we're right where we need to be, but we know deep in our heart of hearts, we're not where we're supposed to be. And we, we play that game and we conceal what's really happening. And you know, sometimes as we walk down that road, we begin to believe our own lives, lies so that we ourselves are so self-deceived that we can't even see any longer how far we've drifted from God. 
Or maybe, maybe, listen, we do know. It's acutely aware to us, but we're so afraid. We're so afraid. We put on the game. We played it for so long. We think, man, if I lower the curtain, if I lower the curtain and let other people see who I really am, what will other people think? What will other people think? And so we're fearful to take a step of faith that we know we need to take because we're so concerned about what other people think. And I know I've said this to you a thousand times, but there's only one opinion that matters, and it's the opinion of God. It's the opinion of God. And I'll just say to you, hey, if Christians are going to be so pharisaical that they can't help you when they're down, they're the ones who have the problem. They're the ones who have the problem. This is supposed to be a place where we can lower the curtain and be honest before God and be supported in the decision that we need to make, not like the prodigal son's brother who just stood there in judgmentalism. We want to have the heart of the father. Maybe today you're prodigal in some sense, and you know that what's happening on the inside is in conflict with, with what you've been portraying on the outside, and you just need to get right with your Father, your Heavenly Father who loves you. Maybe today, you know, your, your relationship with God is just solid. It's good, you know? You're like in a great spot. The truth is you're in a great spot. But I'll tell you what, you might be in a great spot. You're not in a perfect spot. You're not in a perfect spot because nobody is in a perfect spot except Jesus Christ. There are areas of our lives that always need fine-tuning, even when we are proverbially at our best in our relationship with God, there are always adjustments and opportunities for us to be calibrated to the person of Christ through the power of God's Holy Spirit. And so this is what I think, I think today really does represent uh, for us as a church. I think God is giving us an opportunity. I think God is giving our whole church an opportunity. We have a new beginning that God wants to give to us. Yeah, he wants to do it personally, and in a sense, you know, there are private things in our lives that he's going to do, but he wants to do it corporately. He wants to do it in all of our lives. He wants Calvary Chapel, Las Vegas, to come to a place where we all collectively say, God, we're holding nothing back. God, we're holding nothing back. We belong to you, and we want everything that you have for us. Father, we want to live for your pleasure. We don't want to wait to heaven to say to you, all blessing and honor and power and glory be unto you and the Lamb. No, we want to live it now. Father, we want to live it now because you, God, are the only one who is worthy. Maybe today the struggle for you is in your marriage and you need God to do a work in your marriage. Maybe your devotional life has just become a little stale and you're struggling hearing from God. Maybe today you've been battling meaning and purpose in your life. Maybe you've been overwhelmed with frustration and anger. You see the world around you. You are like a volcano that is ready to explode. God wants to touch that area of your heart. Maybe today you're discouraged. You're living without hope. You're leaning into depression and maybe self-harm or suicide. No, God today wants to step into your life and bring real change. You've had a void in your life that you have sought to fulfill with the things of this world and everything has left you a little more empty. Would you let the one who is able to fill the void touch your heart? Jesus said this, final words here. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. He didn't say come to church. He didn't, I'm, look, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. It's a good step, but it's not the step the step is coming to him. He didn't say, come to a spiritual leader or pastor. He didn't say, come to a ministry philosophy. He said, come to me. The one you need is the Lord. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You are burdened down. You are overwhelmed. You are stressed out. You feel like you can't go another day. Jesus says, no, you come to me and I will give you rest. I will take the burden off of your shoulders, the sin you've been struggling with, the discouragement that's been weighing you down, the hopelessness that this world is, has influenced you with. It is encroached into your very soul. Your soul is been, being shaped, and he says, I will make you altogether a new creature in Christ Jesus, and the old things will pass away, and everything will be brand new. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word today. God, we love you. 
We love you. Every piece of today is about you and it is for you. And God, would you be merciful today to move through your Holy Spirit in this place, just as your spirit hovered over the deep on the day of creation. Father, we pray today that your spirit would hover over every heart, every soul, every mind, that every lie of the adversary would be broken. Today, that minds would be renewed Today, that hearts would be healed, that in this place, the healing virtue of Jesus, your son, would flow uninhibited, unrestricted. God, that we would come to you with a mustard seed of faith in our weakness. God, in our struggle, we yet would take the seed of faith that you've given as a gift to each of us, and we would choose today to trust you. Maybe for the very first time, trusting you for salvation through faith in your son. Maybe coming home to you and sincerely believing that you are a God who's never left us or abandoned us. That your eyes have searched the horizon for our return. Maybe today there are areas of fine-tuning that we need. God, that we would not be so prideful to think that our hearts don't need a move of your hand. Oh God, I pray that you would do that work in our lives this morning and that we would simply yield to all that you have for us. Not a single blessing would be missed in this place. This morning is praying. We're gonna do something just a, a little different this morning and we really do believe it's uh, the desire of God that we would all have an opportunity as the Spirit of God is speaking to our hearts to respond and to come to Jesus and bring our need, whatever that need may be. Like I've said before, maybe the need is salvation. Maybe we're prodigal. Maybe we need some fine-tuning. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's our devotional life has just been stale. Maybe it's an area of sin that we need God's help with. Today, we believe that God is beckoning us to come so that he can do this fresh, brand new work, that he can pour out in mercy his miracles upon our lives, that we would simply receive them today through faith, knowing that we have a God who loves us. And so today, I want to invite you this morning just to stand and to come forward. I want to lead you in a prayer today. Today, if you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to stand up right now and to come forward. Today is the day that God has appointed for your salvation. Today, if you're prodigal, stand up right now, come forward. Today, if there's fine-tuning, and I do believe that all of us fit in this category, there's fine-tuning that needs to happen in your life. Stand up and come forward. Let's receive today all that God has for us. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I found leaves the ninety-nine. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself
today I think the whole church should be down here at the front so this is what we're gonna do I'm gonna jump down off the stage since we haven't built the stairs yet um, I pray I don't break my leg uh, but but I just want to say to you that as your pastor I got no problem standing here with everybody else and saying to God you know what God align my heart to your heart calibrate my heart God I want more of you I want all of you I'm not ashamed or afraid to say that and if I'm not ashamed or afraid to say that, then you shouldn't be either. You know, the reality is sometimes we sit in the seat and we know God is speaking to us and we have all of these reasons to not step forward in faith. And in all of that, you know what you're missing is a fresh work of God's Holy Spirit in your life. Don't leave this place. Don't leave this place with regret. Don't go another week saying next week. Don't spend another day living apart from God's perfect plan and purpose in your life. Look, don't play a game. Don't play a game. You can go to lots of churches in the valley and play a game. You're never going to get away with that here because I'm your coach. More importantly, the Holy Spirit is our coach. And he is saying, hey, listen, God is worthy of more than a game. God is worthy of more than a game. So listen, I want to encourage you. You have the slightest desire to come forward and to pray and to reconsecrate your life and to start fresh, to start over, to see what God might have. Your marriage today might be a mess. Today, have the honesty and the humility and the boldness to stand up with your spouse and come forward and reconsecrate your life. The old things can pass away and God can make all things new. There's no shadow you won't line up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow, there's no shadow you won't line up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. together today we're going to pray believing because there's a promise that God gives to us that if we come by faith Jesus himself said he would not cast us away he will not cast you away today he will not turn you away he will not put up a wall he will not discard you he loves you and the promise is this as you come to him with any measure of faith that is the opportunity he is looking for to do wonderful things in your life. Today, with whatever you bring to him, please know that as we, as we come to him by faith and prayer, that he is going to answer in extraordinary ways over the course of days as we return our hearts to him. So I want you to follow me in this very simple prayer. Pray with your whole heart. You can pray out loud as 
you follow. You can pray in the quietness of your heart if you want to. Either way, pray believing today and expect God's brought us to this point for reason. Follow me in prayer this morning. God, I believe. And God, I trust that you have spoken to me today. You have given to me the truth of your word. And today I humble myself. I receive by faith your word. I believe in Jesus, your son. He is my savior. He is my Lord. He is the center of my life. God, I'm choosing today to live for your pleasure. Fill me and heal me and restore me and work the miracle in me. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Awesome. So great.